During the month of June, we're, we're in this short Bible study series called Big Decisions. And we make decisions every day, right? It's just part of life. It's no big deal. Uh, for example, this morning, before I came to church early this morning, uh, Lisa said, we're going to have long, we're going to go pick up at Longhorns today. You need to decide what you want. So I took her hand and said, okay, let's pray about it. And we'll see what the Father's will is. No, I didn't do that. And what I did, I said, okay, here's what I want. I want the strawberry chicken salad, no cheese, and extra pecans. I didn't have, I knew what? <laughs> How about that? Of course, I chased it down with the Pepsi, so it kind of messed it up. But. So, but that's what I said. I want the strawberry chicken salad, no cheese, extra pecans, and it was done. That was it. it not a big decision, not a big deal. It really didn't matter if I got that or something else. But occasionally, we have to make big decisions. And so the idea behind this series is, how, when we have to make those big decisions, how do we tell the difference between our will and God's will? So in week one in this series, we talked about making the right decision. That was the week one discussion. Week two, we talked about, what if I make the wrong decision? And then last week, we had Father's Day, so we didn't meet. And so tonight, in our final lesson, I want to talk about this, wrestling with a difficult decision. Not all decisions are easy. Some of the big decisions are difficult, especially if you're trying to discern my will or the Father's will. Or maybe you're just trying to discern, is this the Father's will? So what do you do when you're wrestling with a big decision? You know, looking back on my life, some of the biggest decisions I ever made were the decisions I made in my 20s. Probably for a lot of you, you would say that that's the same in your case as well. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't made big decisions since then. I certainly have made a lot of big decisions since then. I still have to make big decisions. But I remember wrestling with some difficult decisions in my 20s and realizing that these were life-shaping, life-altering decisions. Decisions like getting married. That was a huge decision for me. And the decision, which seminary, after college, which seminary should I go to? And I, there were several options. And I knew that the seminary that I chose would determine in a large degree the kind of the, the direction of my ministry. Then, when should I go to seminary? I wrestled with that one night. I won't tell you the long story, but uh, I almost went to seminary before I got married. And I was packing my car, or I was packing up, uh, getting ready to leave the next morning to drive to Fort Worth, Texas. And there that night, I decided, no, I'm going to wait until I marry Lisa, and then we're going to go to seminary together. It's a life-shaping decision. I put off seminary for a year. And then one of the biggest decisions I ever made in my 20s was if I should become the pastor of Crestview Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina, my very first pastor. That first pastor, that's a huge decision. And you, you've never been a pastor before. And I was only 26 years old. And how do I make this decision and make sure I'm making the right decision? And for each of those choices, here's what I did. I did what you do. I prayed fervently for God's direction in that big decision. I wanted a clear sign. And I said things like this, probably things that you've said. God, show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And we pray fervently like that. And sometimes, can we be honest, sometimes the answer is clear. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have to wrestle with those decisions, don't we? I read something by John Ortberg recently that he made an interesting observation regarding those times when we have to wrestle with big decisions. 
He said, and I'm quoting, Many pray earnestly over these big decisions, believing that God should have or should give the final word. Then he says, But I believe that often these prayers are not fundamentally about seeking God's direction, but about a desire that the, direct, that the decision itself would just be easier to make. Uh, He's saying basically, you know, a lot of times when we're wrestling with these big decisions and we're praying about God's direction, it's not really that we want God's will as, we, as much as we want God's help in making the decision. He says, and I quote, I did not realize that what I'd actually been looking for wasn't so much God's will for my life. What I was really looking for was a way to be relieved of the anxiety that comes with taking responsibility for a difficult decision. I had never heard that before, but I thought that is so true. On one level, we want God's will, yes. But on another level, we just want to be relieved of the anxiety of having to make this huge, life-altering decision. Now, there are two aspects to wrestling with making big decisions. and That's what I want to focus on tonight. There's, there's two aspects to making these, these huge, life-altering decisions. One is what we might call simply the human aspect. That's probably very obvious, but we need to talk about it for a moment. The problem with the human aspect in making these big decisions, those times when we're wrestling with the decision, the problem with the human aspect is twofold. First of all, our knowledge is limited. Again, that's obvious, but, but let's make sure we state that. You and I can't see over the horizon. In fact, let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure everything that's going to be in your tomorrow? Just tomorrow? No. You, you don't even know for sure what the next 24 hours hold. You can't see over the horizon, nor can I. There is a human aspect here when we're trying to wrestle with these big decisions, there's a human aspect here because our knowledge is limited. We don't know exactly what's over the horizon. I don't have all the information. You don't either. It's like I'm trying to make this decision, but I don't have all the information. If I had all the information, it would really help. But there's so much about this decision I don't know. I don't have all the information. My knowledge is limited. And then beyond limited knowledge, there's another aspect, and that is this thing called feelings. Our feelings and our desires can always be trusted, can they? Now, sometimes we'll say, well, I, there's this huge decision I'm trying to make, and I've got a piece about it. I've said that so many times. I bet you have too. I've got a piece about it. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever see that in the Bible where maybe God was calling Abraham to do something? Abraham said, I've got a piece about it. Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son. Okay, I've got a piece about it. Hey, Moses, I want you to go to Israel and deliver my people from slavery. Yes, sir, I've got a piece about it. What I've learned as I look in the Bible and what I've learned as I've looked at my own experience is that peace is often on the other side of obedience. When we look back, over and over and over again in the Bible, God's people are called to difficult things and they wrestle with big decisions and I don't see any place in the Bible where they respond with, I'll do it because I've got a peace about it. 
Now, I'm not being critical of that because, again, I want to emphasize I've said that multiple times in my life. My point is, it's not bad. My point is simply this. It's not the best way to make a decision. When you're wrestling with big decisions, we have to realize there's this human aspect that our knowledge is limited. We don't have all the information. We can't see over the horizon. And our feelings can mislead us. Our feelings can be, uh, you know, it might just be the pepperoni pizza we had or something. Or it might be that our feelings is, this is what my will is. And trying to struggle between my will and God's will, it's hard to sort through my feelings when I'm trying to discover God's will. So there's the human aspect. Then there's also what I'll just simply call the God aspect. The Bible is very clear that God directs His people to do His will. There's a God aspect that we need to remember. When we're wrestling with these big decisions, there's always this God aspect, that God does indeed direct His people to do His will. And in one way, that ought to give us more confidence. But seeking God's will can sometimes intensify the pressure even more. Is this really God's will? Because I want to make sure that I'm doing what God wants and not just what I want. I want to make sure this is God's will, not just my will. And so, even though this should give us confidence that God gives us guidance, God shows us His will, this does sometimes give us confidence, but it also sometimes increases the pressure. And what makes it a lot very difficult is when there's more than one door, and we have to decide which door to God, does God want me to walk through. Somebody said, it's like God's will is hidden with some mysterious, within some mysterious puzzle, and we don't know where the decoder ring is to solve it. I thought that was pretty good. Wrestling with important decisions are often very anxiety-filled, fear-producing experiences. Because just look up here for a moment. What if, as I'm trying to wrestle with this decision, what if I, I unknowingly lean more into this than I do into this? Fortunately, we have a help in this area. Fortunately, we have a helper in this area, and the Bible calls our helper I put that word up there because I know that that's obvious to you, but I put that word up there because I want this to drill into your mind that God when, he's help, when you're trying to discern His will and you're trying to wrestle with big decisions, we as the children of God, because there is a God aspect in making these decisions, God has given us His Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping us live out His will. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just an extra in the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is not an optional part of our Christian walk. He is indispensable to having a relationship with God and living for Him. The reason I wrote this up here, though it's somewhat obvious, is because this is indispensable to living for God and doing His will. So let me open the Word with you. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said in chapter 14, beginning verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Uh, look up here one, one more time, trying to wrestle with big decisions. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You will obey what I command. You will do my will. Okay, God, we want to do that, but there's this human aspect. We have limited knowledge. Our, our feelings sometimes can't be trusted. So how are we going to obey you to demonstrate our love and obey you and do your will? And this is where in John 14, God highlights, or Jesus highlights, the role of the Holy Spirit. So let's pick up in verse 16. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another... What's that next word in your translation? It, it, it may vary. What's that word in your translation? Another what? Okay, somebody said advocate, I believe. Somebody's counselor is in the NIV. Is there another translation? What is it? Comforter. All right. Jesus said, I ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And then that same Holy Spirit is called in verse 17 the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. That's why I put the Holy Spirit here. Jesus was speaking to His disciples before the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says He, he is with you and He will be future tense, he will be after the resurrection, he will be at, the, at Pentecost, he will be in you. So for, all, for us, the Holy Spirit now, when we trust Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. And we cannot discount the role of the Holy Spirit when we're wrestling with big decisions. So let's work our way through this tonight. Jesus used an intriguing name to describe the Holy Spirit. That's why I ask you what your translation says. John 14, 16, Jesus called the Holy Spirit. In the Greek language, he uses the word parakletos. It's such a rich word that our English Bibles uses four different English words to try to translate parakletos. That's why I ask you, what, what word does your translation use? In the English, or in the Greek Bible, it's such a, a deep word, parakletos. But it means, in the English, either our helper our comforter, our counselor, and our companion. Those, each of those names describes some of the different ways that the Spirit of God helps us in our lives. But the basic definition beside, behind the word perkletos, the Holy Spirit, means one called alongside to help you. One called alongside to assist you. One who stands at your side to help you. Now, if you've ever been on a job where like on the very first day you stood at your desk and there was somebody who stood beside you and they helped you understand how to work the computer, you know, that particular program. And you're, you're just trying to, you're new to the job, you don't know, you've got a willing heart, you don't know how to do everything, it's a brand new hire, a brand new job. So there's, there's this parakletos that comes alongside you. And they're training you for a day, for a few days, for a week. But they're the parakletos. They're the one called alongside to help you learn how to do your job. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the parakletos. He's the one called alongside to assist you. 
My son-in-law, Morgan, is a lawyer. When he was in law school, one of the things that he had to do as far as his, uh, as his training was to be a, a volunteer guardian ad litem for a semester. A volunteer guardian ad litem is a court-appointed advocate for children under 18 years of age. The guardian ad litem represents the child's best interest in court. The guardian ad litem uh, is the person who stands beside the child. Morgan had the responsibility of being the paracletos for that child. The advocate called alongside to help them in their time of need. In their time of need. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. As we're wrestling with big decisions, do not discount the God aspect and the work specifically of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy, if you're taking notes, let me give you four things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We're not going to look at all four. I just want to mention those four, and we're going to focus on number three. The Holy Spirit helps us in four different ways according to Scripture. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of our salvation. The Spirit of God did that for me my freshman year in college. As I wrestled with my own eternal security, as I wrestled with whether or not I really was a Christian, in, in college, preparing for ministry, doubting my salvation... The Holy Spirit of God witnessed to my spirit that truly was a child of God. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, giving us assurance of our salvation. Number two, teaching us the things of God. That we, because our knowledge is limited, because our feelings can be misleading, we sometimes don't understand the things of God. We certainly can't understand the Word of God, and so the Holy Spirit sometimes is given to us to be our teacher, to be our guide, as Jesus said here, the Spirit of truth. Number three, Leading and guiding us in life. And that's what we're going to talk about in a moment. Leading and guiding us in life. That's the third role of the Holy Spirit. And number four, the fourth role of the Holy Spirit is praying for us in difficult times. That, that'd be a, another good study how sometimes the Bible says that in those times when you don't even know how to pray, when life is so hard and so difficult, you don't even know how to pray that the Spirit of God, the Paracletos, called alongside to help you, prays on your behalf with groanings and words that cannot even be uttered with the human tongue. So the Holy Spirit helps us in giving us assurance of salvation, teaching us the Word of God and the things of God. Number three, leading us and guiding us in life. And number four, praying for us. Tonight I want to focus on number three. In our remaining time, I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding us in life. We all probably know what Jeremiah 29 11 says. Can anybody quote it for me? Jeremiah 29 11? Who's saying that? Alright. Say it again, Brittany. Absolutely. Thank you for doing sharing that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Just look at my diagram one more time. God says, I know. You don't know. More than likely, you don't know because your knowledge is limited. But God says, I know the plans I have for you. And they're not necessarily your plans because your plans can be different. Your plans can be influenced by feelings. God says, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Those are encouraging words, and it's good to know that God knows the future. It's good to know that God has a plan. But here's the question. But how can I get in on it? How can I know 
God's plan. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This is one of those scriptures that if I had to pick some of my favorite scriptures in the book of Acts, this would be near the top of the list. Acts chapter 16. There's a great example in Acts 16 of how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. I'm going to give you four principles tonight about how the Spirit of God leads and guides us. I want to encourage you to write these principles down. I want to encourage you to look at the Scripture with me. And just these five verses can perhaps help you tremendously as you try to understand this God aspect of how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us as we wrestle with making big decisions. First of all, let me just read the text with you, beginning chapter Acts 16, beginning verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love the scripture for lots of different reasons. And I just want to walk through the scripture with you as Paul was trying to discern God's will, and he was wrestling with a big decision. Where do I take the gospel? So, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Watch this. Having been kept by, by who? The Holy Spirit. From preaching the word in the province of Asia. So, Paul and his companions, Timothy among them, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're on this this mission trip, if you will. They're trying to, to decide where do we go next? Where should we, what town should we go to? And they have in their mind, let's take the gospel to Asia. And that was, now their knowledge is limited. Their feelings are, are, are uh, positive. Let's take the gospel to Asia. The people in Asia need the gospel. Let's take the gospel to Asia. And that's what they're trying to do. But again, there's this human aspect. Humanly speaking, this is the plan. Humanly speaking, that's what we feel led to do. We feel led to take the gospel to Asia. But there's also that God aspect. And in the God aspect, the Holy Spirit said no. Now explain that to me. Well, I mean, we could take a while to dig into that one, couldn't we? That the Spirit, what's wrong with taking the gospel to Asia? The Holy Spirit said no. Now, just look at it again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, here the Holy Spirit is not called the Holy Spirit, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. That's interesting. Because the Holy Spirit helps us to do the work that Jesus would do. So look at the text. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. 
So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. So here in these first two verses, we see this played out dramatically. The human aspect and the God aspect. The human aspect saying, we'll take the gospel here. And the God aspect saying, no, it's not, that's not where I want you to go. And there's this back and forth, this wrestling with. What does God want? What are we going to do? Where do we go? And so, let me give you four principles based on that. We'll go back to the text in a moment. Let me give you four principles based on the text regarding how the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Number one, you will not know God's will perfectly. I think one of the reasons we get tied up in knots is because we want to make sure we know God's will perfectly. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that approach. I appreciate that desire. But Bill Bright said it this. He said, the plan of God is perfect, but the steps of people are often faulty. The plan of God is perfect. But Paul and his companions did not perfectly know the will of God. Are you getting this? The plan of God is perfect. God has a plan and it's perfect. But Paul and his companions, because of this human aspect, they did not perfectly know the will of God. So Paul tried to enter the new territory for the Lord. He tried to take the gospel to Asia and to Bithynia, but the Lord closed that door. I wonder, just talk to me for a moment. Do you think Paul was disappointed when that happened? Do you think Paul was discouraged? I, I do. I think Paul probably thought, well, what's going on? God, you know the people of Asia need Jesus. What's, what's happening here? I don't want to read it too much, too much into it, but in verse 7... When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried. Watch this. They tried. It's not like they, they, they were just talking about it or thinking about it. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. The word picture is they're trying to go into that area, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is saying, No. No. You will not know God's will perfectly as strange as it may sound it's encouraging to me that even godly men like Paul didn't always clearly know God's will takes a little pressure off doesn't it to know that even godly men like Paul who were taking they were taking the gospel to the world they they were committed to the Lord more than I would ever imagine being committed to the Lord and yet even them even they struggled to know God's will because of this human God aspect. Principle number two. God leads us step by step and sometimes it is a process of elimination. God leads us step by step. Sometimes it's a process of elimination. God's plan was for Paul to preach in Macedonia. But he did not show Paul that at first. This fascinates me. It fascinates me that God didn't say, that God didn't say hey, hey, Paul, Paul, Macedonia. Let, let me just give you a big sign. Macedonia. That's where you need to go. Macedonia. All right? That's where you're going. Macedonia. That is not what happened. Step by step, God was leading Paul, and sometimes God was leading Paul through the nose. No, that's not it. No, that's not right. No, that's not what I intend. 
God leads us step by step, and sometimes it is a process of elimination. Rarely does God reveal everything all at once. Rarely does God say, here's how it's all going to work out. Rarely does God tell us everything we want to know when we want to know it. I mean, the perfect example is Abraham, again, because God said, leave this country and go to this place. And, and he says, well, where am I going? I'll tell you when you need to know. You follow me. I'll tell you when you need to know. God leads us step by step, and sometimes it's through the process of elimination. And so Paul kept jiggling the handle on this door, and that wasn't it. And he tried this door, and that wasn't it. And he tried this door, and that wasn't it. Perhaps, as we wrestle with this human aspect and this God aspect, and as we wrestle with this process of elimination, trying to go to this place and this place and this place and this place, perhaps the reason God doesn't tell us, Paul, it's Macedonia. At first, perhaps the reason he doesn't tell us at first, maybe he's trying to do something in Paul rather than simply send him somewhere. Maybe there's something he's trying to teach Paul about this walk of faith. Maybe there's something he's developing within Paul. Rather than just sending him somewhere, maybe he's working in him, the messenger. Just read the text with me again. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Maybe what God was doing in their lives was just as important as the decision they had to make. Principle number three is this. God can speak clearly about what he does and does not want us to do. The Holy Spirit closed the door twice on Paul. He spoke clearly and it was clearly no both times. God can speak clearly about what he does and does not want us to do. Then, in a vision, God gave Paul definite direction. Look what it says. During the night, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. The Holy Spirit can and does guide us to the right places but he also guides us sometimes away from the wrong places. The Holy Spirit of God can clearly direct us and guide us to the right things, but he sometimes directs us away from the wrong things. And it is sometimes that process of elimination as we're trying to discern, as we're trying to figure out, because of this human aspect and this God aspect, it's sometimes a process of elimination. I wish God would say, let me tell you what the end result is. The end result is I want you to go to Macedonia. That's not what God did for Paul. And it's often not what God does in my life. So many times in my life, it's the process of trying to figure it out. And, and through the process of elimination, I finally get to the place God all wanted me to go all along. Here's a fourth and final principle. In His perfect time, God shows us what He wants us to see. In his perfect time, God shows us what he wants us to see. Verse 10 is such an inspiring verse. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, 
God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Don't you know that was a happy day? Concluding, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit helps us by leading us and guiding us. Yes, but in this human God aspect, sometimes there's this wrestling with where and how and why, wrestling with the big decision. But eventually, in His perfect time, God shows us what He wants us to see. So, Pastor Keith, that's where I'm living right now. I really need God to show me what He wants us to see. Boy, there's some things in my life too, some things in our ministry. I really need God to show me what He wants us to see. I wrestle with that pretty much on a weekly basis. I really need to see what God wants us to see. And so let me just give you two or three bullet points that perhaps will help you along the way. Number one, continue to seek to do God's will today. I'm convinced you're not going to know God's will tomorrow unless you're doing God's will today. You need to continue to seek God's will today. Why should God tell you, tell you and show you what He wants you to do tomorrow if you're not even obeying Him today? Why should God show you the big picture if you're not being obedient in the little picture? Number two. Sometimes you don't see God at work until you look backwards and then you recognize how important each day it was to walk with Him. Sometimes you don't have this perspective until you look backwards. And when you look back, you can see, oh, that was God. Number three. This sounds simplistic, but the, the older I get and the more I walk with the Lord and the, more, the longer I serve Him, this third point is so simplistic but so true. The older I get, the more convinced I, I become of the truth of what I'm about to tell you. The best way to know God's will is to know God. It is so simple and so powerful. The best way to know God's will is to know God. Can I take a little pressure off of you? I understand if you're trying to discern God's will. I understand the human God aspect of that. Can I take a little pressure off of you? It's God's responsibility to show you His will. It is your responsibility to know Him. And the better you know Him, the more likely it is you'll be able to hear His voice. Just look at anybody in the Bible. Nearly anybody in the Bible. Just, just choose somebody. And, and the people that God spoke to and the people that God worked through and the people that God directed their lives, the people to whom He showed His divine perfect will were people who knew Him intimately. So the best way to know God's will, focus on knowing Him. Focus on obeying Him today. Focus on trusting Him for tomorrow. I know wrestling with big decisions like this are, are hard, uh, and it's 
gut-wrenching sometimes. But we all want to get to verse 10, don't we? Let me read it one more time. After Paul had seen the vision, can I put in parentheses, and after Paul had tried to go to two or three other places, and after Paul had wrestled with, God, what are you doing? And after Paul had wrestled with, why do you keep shutting these doors? And after Paul had, had struggled with, is, what, am I missing something here? After Paul had struggled with, wrestled with making these decisions, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's interesting that God calls particular people to particular places to do His will. God calls particular people to particular places to do His will. And the way that He reveals that through His Holy Spirit. So walk with God tomorrow and walk with God the next day and walk with God the next day and take a little pressure off your shoulders that you have to decide God's will. You don't. You have to walk in fellowship with Him. It is His responsibility to show you His will. Let me pray with you about that. Father, I know it's hard for us, it's hard for me to discern your will. We, we want to decide, we want to figure it out, but I just pray that you'd help us walk with you every day. Just deepen our relationship with you so that we will hear your voice and that it might be more of a revelation rather than a wrestling match. Help us to hear your voice so that we can discern this is your divine direction for our lives. Help us tomorrow just to seek to know you. Just to seek to obey you. And to be sensitive to your voice each day along the way. And I pray that in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.